to help us uh, kick off what we're about to do, I've got a, a helper here coming up here. She's going to read for us. Uh, this is from Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him self all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by make, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, my name is Andrew Gross. I'm one of the elders here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. I've also recently joined the staff, and in the not too distant future, I'm going to be helping out uh, to kind of get our uh, discipleship program started. Uh, get things going for that, so you'll hear more about that some other time. But uh, today, today I have the privilege of getting to help us wrap up, uh, who, who remembers what the year has been, what 2014 has been? Growing maturity, yes, right up there. It's a year of growing maturity. Uh, by the way, that was, uh, that was um, this beautiful piece of art here was actually done by our very own Amy Watson, who's visiting us from California today, so... Um, uh, so it's been a year of maturity, and, you know, it's been a year of a lot of kind of hard spiritual work. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of people who came to me at the beginning of the year and who also came to Pastor Jim and said, oh, man, just it's so amazing that this is our theme this year, because guess what God just told me? He told me it's time for you to grow up. <laughs> All these, I, that, that was so many different people said, God's telling me it's time for me to grow up. And so... Uh, I think the Holy Spirit has been working in us this year uh, to train us to grow up in our emotions, grow up in our relationships, grow up in our, uh, in our minds, grow up in our faith, uh, so that we could be fruitful for him, so that we can be pleasing to him, so we can walk deeply with him. Uh, it's, it's, it's been fantastic, but in a lot of ways, um, it, it's some, for some of us, it's felt like a, a lot of work, and uh, 
you know, this last series we just did on James. Wow, a lot of work. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, reading through James, I'm like, oh, wow, more, more to do. Okay, okay, that's cool. Uh, uh, you know, but here's, here's something, uh, it's pretty obvious uh, truth that, you know, uh, 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 an intense workout, an intense exercise only helps if you also have, at the same time, proper nutrition. Uh, if, if you just have intense exercise and you don't have proper nutrition, you, it depletes your body. Uh, you, you, you wither away. So you need, at the same time, proper nutrition. And that's what I want to spend a little time on today, is some proper spiritual nutrition so that the hard work we've been doing this year wouldn't just deplete us, wouldn't just make us wither away. We would actually grow and be strengthened and become fruitful uh, by this combination of hard work, exercise, spiritual exercise, and the proper nutrition. Well, it's really, really cool. John uh, 6, verse 35, uh, John quotes Jesus as saying, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is our proper nutrition. Jesus is the one who nourishes our soul. And so today is going to be a, see if I make this, today is going to be a slow meditation on Christ. I'll warn you up front, I don't have a to-do for you, I don't have an application for you, I don't have three easy things you can do to apply this to your life. Someone I just heard say amen. Um, <clears throat> amen too, hey. Uh, there, there isn't a to-do to this. This is, think of this as, m- many of you got to enjoy a wonderful Thanksgiving. Think of this as a Thanksgiving feast where you come to the table and instead of just shoving the food right down to your gullet as quickly as you can, uh, you spend a little time smelling the aromas. You spend a little time looking at the fullness of the table, that, that, uh, that state of the table where like, there's kind of no room left and you have to keep Kind of rearranging things to fit one more thing on. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, and, and the food just keeps coming. And then there's even leftovers. So, so today, let this, be a, let this be a Thanksgiving feast for your soul as we talk about the person who is our proper nutrition, who is the bread uh, and the water of our souls. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians. You've, you've heard it read a couple times now, uh, and uh, you've heard pieces of it read a couple times. And we're going to spend a little time on that. I, I want to frame it up for us a little bit before uh, we, we get to the, the passage itself. Why, why did Paul write Colossians? You know, Paul wrote the, to the Colossians because uh, he was wanting to warn them against false teachings. There, there's some people who had kind of snuck into the congregation. We don't know how they got there or how they got involved. But these uh, teach, the, the, the teachings, the false teachings that uh, these people were promoting, Paul calls them a shadow of things that were to come when the reality, or another version says the substance, is found in Christ. So the, the real meat, the real goodness, the real juicy yumminess 
that nourishes our soul is found in Christ. But what these people were bringing were just a shadow, a a mere shadow of what was to come. And and then Paul says in the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 19, uh, well, first of all, in in verse 8, he calls these teachings hollow and deceptive. Think of that image of hollow. So there was nothing there. It was a bunch of fluff. And they were deceptive because of their hollowness. And this is really interesting. Paul says that the people who were promoting this teaching, in verse 19, he says that they had lost connection with the head. They, the, the reason that they were promoting these false teachings that were hollow, deceptive, shadowy, is because they had lost connection with the head, who is Christ. So it, it follows that losing connection with the head, that's the biggest problem the church faces, and it's the cause of false teachings. So actually, before we even begin, I, I, I want you to, to think about this. More important than getting your doctrine perfect, more important than getting your behavior perfect, more important than getting other people's behavior perfect, <laughs> more important than uh, getting your life in order, more important than any of that stuff is staying connected to the head. Because the head, Jesus Christ, is the source of all your life and your goodness. Now, to, to prove this, Paul uses this really interesting, these, these really interesting phrases, uh, these prepositions, if you're a grammar geek like me. Uh, he, he says, he uses this phrase, in Christ, or by Christ, or with Christ. He uses it again and again and again in this letter to the Colossians, and I'll, I'll go over some of them. Uh, he says in um, chapter 1, verse 14, that we are redeemed and forgiven in Christ. It's in Christ that we find our redemption and our forgiveness. Uh, later in verse 22, he says we are reconciled to God by Christ. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says that, we, that our hearts are circumcised in and by Christ. Heart circumcision is a, is a symbolic way of saying being transformed uh, and, and, and fully becoming a devoted follower of Christ. He says that happens in and by Christ. The next verse, he says that we are buried with Christ. Our old nature, our old sinful nature that rebelled against God is buried with Christ. And then, the same verse, and also again in chapter 3, verse 1, it says we've been raised in Christ. And then, in a couple of spots in chapter 2, it says we are alive in and with Christ. Paul's list keeps going. He says uh, that we are victorious over sin, or we overcome sin, by dying in Christ, by dying in Christ. He says we're rooted and built up in Christ, in chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, same verse, chapter 3, verse 3, he says that we are, our life is hidden in Christ. And he says back in chapter 2 that um, we experience fullness of life in Christ. So you, you get all these prepositions, in, by, with, Christ, and, and you start to figure out 
you know, you can't really move an inch to the side or a centimeter to the other side or a, a step forward without bumping right into Christ if you are going to live the Christian life. It's all about Christ. It's all in Christ. It's all by Christ. It's all with Christ. Jesus Christ is every part of this. And, and Paul explains why throughout the letter. He says in chapter 3, uh, he says that Christ is your life. He actually puts those two as like equal things. Your life, Christ. They're equal. That, that, that your life is Christ. He says in chapter 3, verse 12, Christ is all and is in all. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, that Christ is the mystery of God. So the mysteriousness of God who's been veiled from our eyes for eons and eons. Uh, no one, not even the uh, Israelites uh, who were receiving revelations of him through the prophets, not even they could, could penetrate the mysteriousness of Christ. And yet, um, in Christ, the, Christ is the mystery of God, and therefore, he is the one in whom God is revealed. Uh, he says, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 3, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So everything you ever wanted to know, everything you ever wanted to learn, all the wisdom you ever needed for life, all the, the treasures of those are hidden in the person of Christ. <clears throat> Paul writes that all the fullness of deity, deity is a, just a, another word for, for God, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form in Christ. And he says in chapter 1, verse 13, Christ is the Son whom God loves. So, so for all these reasons, this, what, what Paul is explaining here is these are the reasons why our life is in and by and with Christ. Uh, you know, and it was interesting, Paul, Paul saw that or, or understood that the, the peace of Christ in chapter 3, verse 15, and the word of Christ, also uh, chapter 3, verse 16, those are the glue that hold believers together. If you're ever wondering why aren't we, why isn't our family holding together? Why isn't uh, this congregation holding together? Uh, it, it's because the peace of Christ and the word of Christ are the glue that hold believers together. Paul understood his ultimate job. He has this really interesting phrase to um, present everyone complete in Christ. So, in other words, he understood his job as an, as an apostle, uh, as being able to one day when he stands before the throne of God, to be able to say to God, look, God, here are all these people, and they are complete in Christ. He saw that as his ultimate sort of final finishing line. I, I've done it right. I've done it well. If he could present uh, the people of God complete in Christ. And, uh, and this is also so interesting how it relates to this. Paul says his main tool to finish this job, his main tool was to proclaim him, proclaim Christ. So in other words, if people were coming to Paul with you know, questions, how do, I, how do I live for God, or how do, I, how do I behave with my family, or how do I behave in the marketplace, or, or uh, Paul, how do I overcome this tragedy in my life, or Paul, how do I struggle with this? Paul's solution for all of that was to proclaim Christ. Tell them 
about Jesus. Jesus was the solution, the answer to everything in Paul's eyes. So all of this, all of this really coincides perfectly with what Jesus had said in John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So what we're going to do in a few minutes here is we're actually going to have the worship team come back up. Not quite yet, just a few more minutes, but in a few minutes, the worship team is going to come back up, and they're going to lead us in responding to this truth, these truths about who Christ is. And I, I want to just spend a few more minutes with us kind of laying out the table, the feasting table, uh, pointing out, look at, look at this amazing dish over here. Smell this uh, lovely aroma of this uh, delightful food over here. Look at, look at what God uh, has prepared, this table God has prepared for you over here. I, I want to just spend a few minutes unpacking uh, just one particular passage in the book of Colossians and lay out this feasting table for us, and then we're going to respond by coming to him and believing in him. Just coming and believing uh, uh, as, as we're going we're gonna to continue on in, in worship in just a few minutes. So uh, if, if everyone, if you don't have it open already, I'd love it if you would open up to uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, if you have it on your device, that's fine. If you brought it in your own Bible, that's fine. But uh, uh, you, should, you should have it open right in front of you because this is a, another way to encounter this picture that God is painting of, of Christ through Paul's writing uh, is, is to, to look at it with your own eyes. Look at the, the very words uh, with your own eyes. <clears throat> so in chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. We're going to start in verse 15. Chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. Verse 15. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the one who made the invisible God visible. You know, Moses, uh, thousands of years before this, Moses at one point cried out to God, God, show us your glory. And Moses, was, God responded to Moses and said, um, actually, I can't because you'll die if you see my glory. Let's see a little glimpse of sort of, he said, like, my backside. But uh, he uh, he said, you can't see my glory or else you're, you're going to die. Uh, but in Christ, we see the fullness of God's glory. We finally get to see what Moses was denied seeing. That was the glory of God in Christ. Uh, in John chapter 14, uh, Thomas had said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus' response was really interesting. He had said, uh, haven't, uh, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. When we see Jesus, then we see the Father. Jesus makes the Father visible and tangible. And when we look at Jesus, 
then we, we actually can get our imagination around the Father. We actually get to see who God is when we look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. <clears throat> Next verse, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created. You know, Jesus wasn't, isn't, one, isn't a part of the creation. Jesus actually made everything. He is the word of God by which we are all made. Uh, Genesis opens up this story, opens up with the story of, of how God made everything with his word. That word was actually God himself, the son of God, Jesus. Uh, so by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Paul is, like if he were a, a movie director, if they had movie directors 2,000 years ago, it's like Paul is taking a movie camera and he's doing this slow pan over all creation, slowly back and forth, so you get a, a, the whole picture, and he's saying, Jesus made all that. And then this amazing phrase at the end of the verse He says that it was created, not only by him, it was created for him. Everything was made for for Jesus. You were made for Jesus. This building was made for Jesus. Your lives were made for Jesus. Your children were made for Jesus. Uh, Everything that exists, the highest mountain, the deepest ocean, everything exists for Jesus says in verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That word before, it can mean both just in time. He was, he was here before all of us and everything. But it also means in front of or the most important. I love this phrase. In Him all things hold together. You know Jesus Christ is holding you together right now. He's the one who's holding your very atoms together right now. He's the one, the fact that you were able to get up this morning in a reasonable semblance of health, get yourself here, the fact that uh, your heart is still beating, that your lungs are still opening and closing, it's all because of his express favor to hold you together. I know many of us feel like our lives are falling apart. I know many of us feel like the world is falling apart. We can't even describe the chaos that would happen if God weren't moment by moment holding it all together. As much as you feel like your life is falling apart, God is actually holding you together right now. And it's all in Christ. Verse 18 says... And he is the head of the body, the church. The head, that means he's he's the source. That means he's in charge. That means he's the whole reason we exist. The quickest way to end somebody's life probably is to get rid of their head. That all life flows from and is is connected with the head. Um, Then it says in the next part of it, he is the beginning of, and the firstborn 
from among the dead. That means that he was the, the first one to rise permanently from the dead. There were other resurrections that actually happened through Jesus, uh, but um, when it says he was the firstborn from among the dead, he's the first one to permanently be raised up uh, forever to be in his resurrection body. Uh, and and this, this just gets me every time I read this. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. He might have the supremacy. The Father's entire purpose is to make Jesus supreme over everything and over everyone. Now, if you're serious about withering up your self-absorption so you're no longer controlled by your narcissism, meditate on this for a while. Meditate on this again and again. It's all about Jesus being made supreme. Verse 19 says, here's the reason why God the Father wanted to do all this for God the Son. It says in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Why did God the Father want to make God the Son supreme? Because of his pure pleasure in Jesus. The thing that when, when, when I want to break out of my self-absorption and my own worries and my own troubles and cares, the thing I need to do, the thing that will get me there the quickest, is to start thinking about, start meditating on the pleasure God the Father has for God the Son. And the pleasure that God the Holy Spirit has for God the Son. And the way the, the different members of the Trinity look at each other with such adoration, such love, such pleasure. You you take the time you've had the the deepest pleasure in another person. Uh, It might be a spouse, it might be a best friend, it might be a child, it uh, might be another relative or a good friend. You take that moment and you amplify that by... A zillion times, that's how much pleasure the Father has for the Son constantly. That's what's happening inside the Godhead, inside of the Trinity. All this pure pleasure in one another. It is the most beautiful thing in the world. And as I read this last one, it says in verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So once again, Paul is taking this panoramic view of all things in existence. The highest mountain, the deepest ocean, uh, the greatest nation, the, most, uh, the least important person. Uh, Paul is taking this panorama of all of creation and He's saying that all of it is reconciled through Jesus. God the Father is so pleased in his Son that he wanted to make his Son the instrument or the means by which all things in creation could be reconciled to him. And the peace, the reconciliation, all came through the blood of Jesus shed on 
across. Um, Toby here is going to read this passage one more time. Go ahead and read with him or just listen, whatever you need to do. And, uh, and, then, and then it's going to be time to feast. It's going to be time to feast for a while. Just feast our souls. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Look at Jesus as the source and the head of everything. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him self all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Please have a seat in the presence of the Lord. You know, we, we could stay on the mountaintop. We would, we would love it. We could just stay on the mountaintop forever, just exalting the Lord. But Jesus actually asks us to follow him deliberately back into the valley of darkness. <clears throat> when Jesus left the bliss of the Trinity, the bliss of being showered by the Father's pleasure constantly for all eternity, he came down into our darkness for a purpose, for a reason. And he actually calls everyone who would, uh, who would follow him, who would, who would say, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. He calls everyone to come after him into that darkness. And that's actually, that's actually what Advent is about. <clears throat> you know, God knew we are terrible at waiting. There's, there's a good kind of waiting where you're waiting with expectancy, with hope, with excitement. And then there's the waiting most of us do, where we are bored out of our skull and we're just trying to stave off the boredom from uh, overwhelming us and crushing us with depression. And so we do all kinds of negative stuff, negative behaviors to, to try to manage that kind of waiting. But God wants to turn us into the good kind of waiters. Because what, the fact is, we're still waiting. We're still waiting to see him come in all his glory. This, 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 little, this little bit, uh, this little meditation on the, on the letter to the Colossians, these beautiful songs we've been singing. We've just been getting a little teeny itty bitty glimpse of the glory that's coming, of the beauty of, that's coming when we get to see Jesus face to face. <clears throat> but we've got to learn how to become good waiters. We've got to become good at waiting. And so we have seasons like Advent where we get to actually follow Jesus back into the darkness. So the early church realized we're bad at waiting, and so they came up with all kinds of observances, all kinds of ways to train us 
to wait. And they thought, what, what better way to train us to wait for the second coming than to remember the people who had to wait for the first coming? There were all kinds of people. The Bible names a couple of them, uh, Anna, um, Simeon, people who were waiting around to get to see Jesus come for the first time, the answer, the solution, the Messiah. That's what they were waiting for. And, uh, and so the early church said, let's imitate those people who were longing, who were expectant, who were eager for the coming of the Messiah. Let's imitate them. And in doing so, that tr- will train ourselves to wait for the second coming when we finally get to see Jesus face to face. And those people, Anna, Simeon, a lot of the others, uh, they, had, they had just the tiniest pinprick of hope. The tiniest pinprick of hope. If you, if you imagine yourself back in their situation, there was no New Testament yet. There had not been the day of Pentecost with its explosion of miracles all over the world. There had not been, Jesus hadn't walked the earth yet, healing people everywhere he went, demons being delivered, or people being delivered from demons, uh, um, the enemy getting crushed everywhere. Nobody had seen any of that yet. And so those, those, those people who were waiting for the Messiah had to step into deep darkness, and they had the tiniest pinprick of hope. And so... In commemoration of that, we light one candle in the season of Advent. But praise the Lord, as we get closer to commemorating his first coming, the light's going to increase. We light an, an additional candle every single week. Until finally, when Christ comes, the day we celebrate his first coming we light what's called the Christ candle in the center to show that the light is here. So in this Advent season, we're calling the season expecting uh, because we're going to train ourselves in the good kind of waiting. We'd love to stay up on the mountaintop. We'd love to just be there in the glory, the basking in the glory. But like on the day of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus invited his followers to come back with him into the dark valley. And Advent is about choosing to follow Jesus back into the dark valley. But it's not a completely dark valley. It's a valley with a pinprick of light that Jesus is holding out for you. So, so we're, gonna, we're actually going to close. This is probably messing with many people here, but we, we're actually going to close with a single... A single hymn, uh, a single Christmas carol. It's actually not a Christmas carol. It's, it's, a, it's a hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it, if you're familiar with that song, it's, it's actually got kind of a mournful tune to it. I, I, I used to hate that song because it was sort of like, why do I feel depressed after listening to it? Instead of, I thought it was Christmas, what's going on? Joyful, where's the joyful, joyful? Uh, but we're going to end on that note to show that we are deliberately choosing to follow Jesus back into the dark valley where the world needs us, where we can we can hold out that little pinprick of light to the world and and we can tell the world, hey guys, we're getting closer. We're getting closer to the light of Jesus' coming. Uh, You may notice Christmas decorations aren't up yet. Usually we we fill the hall uh, with all kinds of Christmas decorations. That was actually on purpose this year. Um, 
Did, did you know that there's some traditions, some Christian traditions, they don't put up a single Christmas decoration until Christmas Day. Now, some of us are like, you know, I want to put up my Christmas decorations after Halloween, you know. <clears throat> uh, There, there's a purpose in choosing to wait in Advent. We, we are going to put up Christmas decorations, by the way. So we are, they are going to be here. It's going to be simple this year, but we are putting them up. But uh, there's purpose in waiting. There's purpose in choosing to wait for the celebration of Christ's coming because you're, you're deliberately choosing to follow Jesus into the dark valley. You're deliberately choosing to hold on to the tiny pinprick of hope that he's given us. So we're going we're gonna to sing this final hymn together, and, um, uh, and I, I hope today was a feast for your soul. I hope you were feasting your, your spirit in the deepest way possible with the word of God. And, and now, as you were feasting, I, I just, I'm going sort of, to say the benediction now. Uh, I, I pray that uh, you would go with the light and the glory of Christ into the darkness of the valley, with the pinprick of Jesus' light. In Jesus' name, amen.